Well, why don't you tell your neighbor you are glad to be sitting next to them today? And tell them, don't worry, but you don't have double vision. There are two preachers on the platform this morning. Um, this, this is my dear friend and a mentor in ministry, Larry Myers, a missionary to Mexico. And we have had a Christ, uh, Christmas tradition for 30 years now that uh, he and his wife didn't have a home church per se. So uh, we, we, we bring them every Christmas. And uh, unfortunately, his wife is struggling with heart issues, wasn't able to be with us today. But I bring him today for several reasons. Number one, his influence in my life. Uh, there were three men, as I reflected on the weekend, who have influenced my life tremendously. The first was my dad, my biological dad. He not only gave me life, but he taught me the values that guide my life today. Uh, 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 my spiritual father, uh, Linnell's dad, he's here somewhere. Where are you? Why don't you stand up, Apostle C. Stand up. Give him a big hand. He, t- he taught me what I know about pastoring. But the man that taught me about world missions and helped me get a heart for missions is Brother Larry. And uh, I, I want today, uh, by not only the picture of us being here, but the words that he'll say, I want it to inspire you to realize what can happen when a person says yes to God. Now, he was born on the banks of the Atchafalaya River near Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He said, we did not only did we not have a car, there wasn't even a road to our house. You got to our house with a boat. And what we ate was whatever we could catch. So now pause and think about that just a second. I don't, uh, um, anyway, we'll just kind of leave that there. So let's just say he was born in, in not the best of situations, but God saved him when he was about 18. He got married when he was 22. Uh, he'll share the story about his call. He was first a barber. God called him into ministry. He was pastoring an assembly of God church in Denison, Texas, happy as a lark, everything going great. But then God called him to go to the nation of Mexico. And I don't want you to listen to this morning just as a man from Mexico. I want you to listen to it as God has a call for my life. My call may not be to a nation, my call could be to a company, to a city, to a neighborhood, to a, whatever the case may be. But all of us have some calling, and it all depends if we say yes to God. You see, it, normally when somebody says they're going to the mission field, everybody gets excited. But when he told his overseers there in the church, they said, well, you're too old. You're 40-something years old, plus you don't speak Spanish, plus you don't have the money. And he said, well, I got a problem because God told me to go. And he said yes to God. And I have tried to get some numbers out of him, what God has done over the years, not, not just to honor him, but to honor first and foremost the Lord Jesus. But I honestly think he didn't know. The best he could come up with last night, I said, how many church congregations and churches have you planted and built in Mexico? And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, that's not good enough. I need a number. He said, all I can tell you is from the United States border with Mexico all the way to the southern state of Chiapas, from the Pacific Ocean all the way to the Gulf of Mexico, we have planted churches, started Bible schools, and best I could say, the lowest end would be 500. It's probably 1,000 and probably more than that. And here's why. 
if you, in the state of Chiapas, for example, I've been there many times. If you stand between two mountain ranges and a, a young man comes here, typically in these two mountain ranges, let's say it's eight or ten villages. And these are not Christian people. They're an unreached people group. And someone gets saved there. And they get trained and they want to start a church in their little town where their life's dream is to plant churches in all of those villages. So it's no way to tell the breadth of the work that God has done. Uh, I know of two major hospitals that he's built, orphanages, you know, church buildings galore. And, and all these things because he said yes to God. Now, we do honor him. How many know the Bible says give honor to whom honor is due? But yet, I want this to be an inspiration to you of what can happen if I say yes to God. And I've asked him to start the morning message. He's gonna, I asked him basically to tell us, what have you learned about God in these last 66, 70 years of your life? What, 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 what can you tell us that will help us in our relationship with God? And then I'm going to share with you some what I call spiritual lessons that I've learned from him that have helped me as a pastor here. So this is kind of a spiritual generational mentoring morning. So uh, I'm glad you're here. And Brother Larry, we are honored to have you with us today. So share with us what God's put on your heart. Are you going to holler or you want to use the mic? Does it work? Good morning. Beautiful, beautiful congregation. Most of you, just beautiful. I have a few reservations, but that's between me and God. It certainly is wonderful. I'm going to change up a lot from the previous service. I want to read a, a verse of, of, of the, the Old Testament. God said, therefore come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. People say God doesn't need anything. He's God. <clears throat> Owns all the wealth in the entire world. <clears throat> He's God. He does not have a need of anything. And I beg your pardon. God has a lot of needs. He needs people to yield to his will for a purpose. <clears throat> he said to Moses, come and I will send you to Egypt. Bring my people back. That was a need God had. It, had. Wasn't everybody would have said send me. But he did obey God, and as Pastor said this morning, it's, it's not always, y'all will these things on. Hey, that was a dollar, too, for that bottle of water. <clears throat> I love this man. <laughs> But I love his wife more. 
you have done a great job today. I'm so glad that you were able to share this word for God needed this man for the purpose of building this church and the church prior to that. God needed him. And it's the most wonderful thing in the world to be needed by God. Who, who are you that God needs you? One of the greatest pastors I've ever had a part of being a friend of. This town needed him. God needed him. <clears throat> and so God called him and used him mightily to have what we have here today. Could you repeat that, please? <laughs> Follow the money. <laughs> That's what they say. Yeah, and, and hundreds of thousands have gone to Mexico. Yes. I love this man, and as I said, I love his wife even more. She lit to God needed you, Pastor Linnell. God had a need. He needed you. No one else could have taken your place. God needed you. He called you. He sent you into Mexico, and you've changed all that I had gone, you just messed it all up. <laughs> and you made the people of people that are proud today. Men are not just walking in the front and ladies walking behind them. They're walking together because you taught them how to be as a couple. And so God needs you. God needs this man here. No one I, I know of no one in the world that could have come into Texarkana in the condition that the church was and do what he has done for Texarkana. I heard that. that was, I did. It might have been four. But I, this is what I want to talk to you about today. I don't want to condemn you. I don't want to preach at you. I don't want to yell at you, scream at you. I just want to say it's the greatest privilege in the world to be needed by God. As Pastor said, it's not always easy. It's not always easy to, to pass here in the U.S. It's many times almost unbearable in some of the indigenous people that we've gone to. But God needed, he needed me. <clears throat> I believe he spiked my water. But did you understand, Moses yielded his life to God. God needed Moses. 
God sent him to Egypt. Study the life of Moses. There were difficulties after difficulties after difficulties. But he did what God wanted him to do because God needed him. God needed this man. God needed this woman. And I want to read you a scripture. Isaiah. God said to Isaiah, who will go for me? <coughs> I don't know what you put in that coffin. <laughs> Isaiah said, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Thank you. <clears throat> so God needed, I don't know what's wrong with this. So if you uh, have something on the stove, call home. Tell them to take it off the fire. <laughs> But God needed Isaiah. Israel was in bad shape. And God said, who will go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord. Send me. Notice Moses did not go on his own. He was sent by God. Isaiah didn't go on his own. He was sent by God. This man did not come on his own. He was sent by God. This woman didn't go to Mexico on her own. She was sent by God. It's a great feeling to be needed by God. I was sent by God. I did not go on my own. I was as happy as I could be in my, in my own business. I cut hair. One of the best jobs I've, I've ever had. But when one Saturday, which is the, the, the day of the, your bread and butter, you make most of you are living on one day. I, were, I, made a, I had a little barber shop. This was before I became a minister. I would go, I would always get on my knees and pray before going to the barber shop every day. On Saturdays, I would work from seven in the morning till seven at night. 12 hours without taking a drop of water or going to the bathroom. I was there one Saturday. 
and I was having a good morning. And then at noon, the business shut off completely. Not a customer, very strange. I began to just walk in the shop, loving God, lifting my hands up and giving him praise, blessing his holy name. And all of a sudden, I had a vision. I've never had but one vision in my life. I'm 86 years old. This is the only vision I've ever had, but it was so plain. I was crying and I saw a multitude of people as far as your eye could, could, uh, could see. And I'm standing there preaching to these people. God needed me. And I said, God, if you want me to preach, I'll go. Within a moment, the barbershop filled up again for the rest of the day. I will never forget that vision. I will never forget that calling. I will never forget that the, the very fact that God needed me. He needed me. Barbershops, I'm sure you've got jillions of them right here in Texarkana. But God needed me from my background, from a Cajun background, from a, a person that knew how to, to live without very good means. God needed me. He chose me. He sent me. And from that day to this day, there have been multitudes and multitudes and multitudes of people who gave their hearts to our Lord who, who will be in heaven with us. I, I, I was at a memorial service a couple of weeks ago and a good friend had passed away and we had a memorial for him. And so I was there. The, guy, the other speakers had three minutes each. They gave me five minutes. And I'll never forget looking around at the people, all of the business people and all. But there was not a Mexican in the family, not a Mexican in the ground. They were not there. And I thought, God, I can only imagine how it's going to be when the gates of heaven are open and the multitudes of those you touch, those indigenous women and men, children, those that you minister to, I can only imagine how it's going to be when they come in by the thousands and tens of thousands because God needed us and we took his word to the people who needed God. I would like to talk about Isaiah for a moment or two. I, 
God needed Isaiah. God called him. Life wasn't easy. As Pastor said, lots of, of stress at times. Some people don't like what you say. Some people get angry at you. A lot of that goes on. But when God needs you and you say yes to God, it's not in your hands anymore. It's in the hands of God. I can only imagine when the gates are open and the multitudes of those indigenous people that we've gone and taken the gospel to because I've had a vision. And I said, here, my Lord, send me. Send me. And God sent me. I, I owe this man five minutes. I cheated him this, this morning. I went over five minutes. But thank you. You didn't get mad. No, but we're going to cut your mic off in this service, so you need to move a little quicker. <laughs> but God needs you. Church on the Rock, listen to me. God needs you. Are you willing to say, here am I, Lord, send me? If God puts it in your heart, and chooses you, God Almighty, choosing you, would you yield to him and say, here, my Lord, send me. I'm not going to ask you where you work, how much money you're worth, you are worth, or anything. But as you look at me, and I'm looking at you, how many in here are really ready this, this morning. If God, if God says, I need you, how many here, I want you to raise your hand, you would, would you say, here, my Lord, send me. Wow, look at, look at that, Pastor. You might have a small congregation pretty soon. <laughs> Remember this, you spoke before the people, you raise your hand. If God calls you, you say to me and to the people, I would go. It's wonderful to be needed by God. Wonderful for the creator of all mankind to need me. He needed Timothy. He needed uh, Jeremiah. He needed these men who gave their life for the gospel. God needed them and God called them. And that's why we have this precious book of the stories. So I remember yielding to God, going to Mexico, a poor, poor man, not one person standing with me, not one single person standing with me. I was totally alone. Every friend I had, everybody that I pastored, they said, 
it won't work. It won't work. But when God sends you, it's going to work. It's going to work. When God speaks to you, if, it, if it's in giving or in going or whatever it is, if God says, I need you, count it a privilege and do what he asks you to do. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Pastor. Wow, give him a big hand. You may be saying, well, that's great for him, but, you know, what's the big deal for me? One day we're all going to stand before God and give an account for our life. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear the Lord say to me, come on out, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. We've got one life to live. And I hope not only what he said, but his presence and the little, the, the, the reason we spoke about the breadth of the, the ministry, and, and it's literally reasonable to believe millions of people's lives have been changed. Millions of people, because when you have Bible colleges and they raise up leaders and they go out, millions of people can be changed. And one day, how many know all humanity will stand before the throne of God? And what matters most was my, my life right with God. And he said, yes, but I hope this inspires you, not just to go to Mexico, but to do what God has called you to do with your life and not be afraid to take that risk when you say yes. I want to share some spiritual lessons that I learned from him that have helped me over the years tremendously. Um, the first, and I would perhaps say the most important, is I learned about hearing the Holy Spirit and having faith. Now, as you think about this word faith, I think Hebrews 11.1, 1, the best translation that defines what faith is with the New Century Version, it says faith means knowing that something is real even if we don't see it. Faith means knowing something is real even if I don't see it. What he saw, he shared his call to Mexico in last service. He was in Colorado elk hunting under a tree, and he saw, uh, that, that he heard God call him to go. He shared about his vision, but it takes faith not only to believe that it's possible, but Abraham teaches us in James 2, Abraham's faith and actions work together. In other words, it takes not only a strong belief in God, but you have to get up and go. You have to do. You have to act. You have to give God an opportunity to be God. And I'll give you an example. Uh, I was probably 40-ish. I went with him to Chiapas, the southernmost state in, in, in Mexico. And every, most, virtually every trip that I would go on, see, here's the deal. Here's the people in one part of the world that have a, have a hunger and a need for God but they don't have resources. Here we are in America, we have plenty of resources, but often we don't have a great hunger for. But what God does is God puts something in our hands and in his hands. So these, he, he, he would go to places and pastors would say, can you help me build a church? And he didn't build one everywhere he went. But I watched him, he asked me, we were working on a church building and, and, and he asked me, I want you to go with me to this next village. 
And we went there and he talked to the brother and I didn't understand, you know, it was a translator. And I went back to the truck and, and, and then I watched him walk around the building. And then he got back in the truck with me and I said, well, are you going to do it? And he said, I am. And I said, do you have the money? And he said, no. <laughs> and I'm a very conservative, logical person. How many know you can't buy something unless you have money to do it with? Well, I said, well, how, where are you going to get the money? He said, I'll never forget this. That's not my problem. God just told me to build it. He'll put the money in my hand. I'm going to make the commitment to this brother. He'll start praying. And that's, and that's the way that hundreds upon hundreds of churches have been built. Holy Spirit, what are you saying? I'm going to do it. And I want to tell you what, that lesson of faith helped me when we had outgrown Mall Drive and there was a COVID epidemic and Gander Mountain had been closed for several years and it was $4.5 million to buy a concrete building with nothing in it that was run down. I heard the Lord. We took a step in faith as a church and this building would be paid off in the next six to nine months. You say, well, that's a miracle. That's the point. It's the God factor that we want in life, we hear what God says and we say yes, and then we begin to act. And I thank you on behalf of the church for giving me that lesson that gave me the courage to go to that banker and say, okay. <laughs> Let me give you this, give him a big hand for that because that's not an easy thing. Let me give you the second lesson I learned and this was a big one as well. Uh, I learned to care for the poor and needy. Now, I was raised in the 1960s in Mississippi. I was raised on a farm. Uh, there were sharecroppers that lived on our farm. Um, I, I remember uh, we just lived in an old farmhouse. Dad got married, and I came along, and they just added a room onto it for, for us. But there was this one man. His name was John Bell. He didn't have a bathroom in the house, didn't have water, and his house was, was, was uh, adorned with the funny papers. That was his wallpaper. And his two little girls would play with me in the sandbox. So I was raised in the racial turmoil of the 60s, but I was not raised in an environment to hate, you know, where we loved and we cared for people that were, that were different from us. But, but th what I learned from him took me deeper. It took me in a lesson as an adult. Now listen to Psalm 41, verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. Oh, the joys of those who are kind to the poor. If you read your church Bible reading God today, we read John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, if you have two coats, give to somebody who doesn't have one. If, John the Baptist said, if you have food. That's never been a problem for me. But he's looked at these people. If you have food, share with somebody who doesn't have any. And I watched him do this. I'm going to show you a little picture. He, he would tell me, and this was run true for me. I, I, I've built churches with him in uh, big cities like Monterey. But it's the little villages. Now, this, as best as I can recall, my son was about 10 or 12 there. He's the little guy with the blue hat. He's 10 or 12, and now he's about 34. Um, but we, it's the furthest place away from civilization I've ever been in my life. We flew into Monterey and got in a, in a van and drove that it seems like for a week, but we turned down this gravel road 
And, and it, it was not just a hole every once in a while. It was this long series of holes and washed out stuff. And we went hours and hours and hours away. Okay, I'm talking about non-HBO country, non-dish country, non-even non satellite country. But we were out there. And then we get to this little village in the middle of nowhere. And we build the footings for a church. And I can remember all these villagers coming together. And at night, we went into this one room, and there was one light bulb in the whole room. And we're all eating there with tortillas and beans and rice. And they were some of the happiest people I'd ever met in my life. And I remember what it was like when we drove away from that little ranchero or whatever you would call it. It, it. it had done something to give something to someone who could not build it on their own. And when they build those little church buildings, it's the only building like that in town. And the whole church comes for social gatherings and everything else. And before you know it, everybody in the village is saved. But it was not just church buildings with pulpits. It was medical care. Here's a picture of a young man. His name is Nabor. And I want you to, it's the same young man on the left and right. He's about six years old on the left. But I want you to look real closely beneath his nose. It's called a cleft palate. And if you can see in the middle, that's his tongue, which means he just didn't have any, any lip here. So I want you to think about the stigma of a six-year-old boy and the laughter. He told a story today about a young woman who was 21 years of age, born not only with a cleft palate, her whole face was disfigured in a similar way. One day old, the mother takes the child to the grandmother's house and walks away from it. And this little, this little girl turns in, she's 21, and she's hidden in the dark corner of a house because of the shame just to come out, the embarrassment and the jokes. Nobody asked him to do anything. He just saw it and he acted and he found doctors in Lafayette, Louisiana that would do the surgeries for free and he got the people up here and he changed their lives and that's the way the young boy looks today. This is Christianity in action. This is compassion and it's compassion for the poor. It reminds me of Matthew 25. You remember Jesus said, when I was hungry... You fed me. This is judgment day. I was hungry. You fed me. Naked, you clothed me. Sick, you came to visit me. I'm going to know this is grassroots Christianity, and I want to thank you for teaching me this lesson. Give him a big, a big hand today. Let me give you another one. I learned that sometimes Christians must take a risk to answer God's call. Now listen, even if it means risking your life, to share the gospel. Now, I'll say this. I've, I, I'm not aware that I have ever risked my life. Now, there might have been some crazy that had a gun and an angel stopped him, but he has. Not only he has, countless people. Today, there are 300 million Christians in the persecuted church around their world. Some of them fear for their lives just to bear the name of Christ some of them, if, you're, if you are baptized as a Christian and you happen to be a Muslim, many of their families would kill them for what they have done to the stigma that they brought to their families. But in Acts 15 verse 25, it speaks of Barnabas and Paul. It says, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's a little more than if you want to go to heaven, raise your hand and let the preacher pray for you. They risked their lives 
for the name of Jesus Christ. About 40, 45 years ago, the magazine Christianity Today, at that time it was a strong conservative evangelical voice by the Billy Graham Association, uh, they published an article that said the most violent people group in the Western Hemisphere were the Chamula Indians in the state of Chiapas, Mexico. Okay, so this guy is primarily ministering in northern Mexico, but you remember he said his ministry extended to the southernmost part of Mexico. He meets a man named Ayala, and Ayala said, there's an open door for the gospel among these Indians, and they go down together, and today there are literally tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of these Mayan descendant Indians that have become Christians. Now, I can, I can remember uh, when I first time that I went down there, uh, I was not that acquainted with missions, and uh, a dear friend, Paul Pogue, sponsored a group of pastors to go down and touch it, and we go up to a stop sign in Chiapas. We're going, I guess, towards Chinelo is where we were headed, but we stopped at a stop sign, and he said, right here is where a pastor who tried to start a church was chopped to death with a machete. And I thought, what am I doing in this truck? <laughs> now think about that. Pagan people, a little Catholicism, mainly paganism, was their religion. They're hostile towards Christianity. Well, just because you're only this tall, if you've got a sharp machete, you can do a lot of damage. But yet, not only, he said, but then... The church, somehow, somebody else came in and they established a beachhead there. I mean, no, it was Satan's territory and he didn't want to let go of it. And sometimes Christians have to risk. They have to risk in some way to go. Well, then we get to the, the first church building in that area and it's overlooking this beautiful mountain until he told me the week before the Zapatistas, if you recall, they were the resistance a number of years ago, the Mexican government had sent airplanes bombing their villages. Now, this is right across the mountain where I am, and later on they tell me, don't go outside at night because there's a Zapatista village, uh, uh, you know, up the mountain there. You say, how'd you go to the bathroom? I had a bottle, okay. I wasn't going out there with Zapatistas out there. I knew you could take it. <laughs> So what am I saying in all this? There's a risk. There's a risk. There's a risk you could lose your job just simply by praying at work today. Christians have lost their jobs because they posted on social media that they believed in traditional marriage. It may not be in my life that I'm losing, but it could cost me a part of my livelihood for Stand for Christ. I have never knowingly faced death, but I tell you what I have faced. I do my best as a Christian pastor, to teach the truth of the Bible to a world that doesn't want to hear it. I do my best to tell you what Jesus said when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I'm not politically correct. I'm going to say God loves every person on the face of the planet, but Jesus is the only way to heaven. When the Bible tells us that marriage is between a man and a woman, listen, I'm going to tell you that. You may disagree with me. The Supreme Court may disagree with me. I do not tell you that in a bigoted, self-righteous way. I tell you that in a loving way. Come on now. Because one day we're going to stand before God. This book is true or it's false. 
And if it's true, one day we're going to stand before God and I'm going to be accountable to God having told the whole gospel and the whole truth. And you help me have courage to be able to do that in America. And I want to say thank you. Come on, give him a big, big hand. I want to give you one more lesson. There were many. I, I, I had one on humility that I was all prepared, but I thought I would make you proud if I get to my head. You know the difference between being humble and proud. I will say this. I never saw him go to the front of the line when we were in Mexico and all of us were thirsty because we've been working in the concrete. I never saw him go to the front of the line to get the first Coca-Cola, the first drink of water. I never saw him get the first tortilla when we were scrambling for beans and starving. I, I, I never saw him demand the best hotel and the best of this and that. And that has shaped my thinking as a Christian leader. And I do want to say thank you for that because it's a little different in America sometimes. Um, I'm going to leave that there. But let me give you one more. I learned serving Jesus isn't always easy. Now, if, if your mind's drifted to Cracker Barrel, drift it back now, okay? <laughs> serving Jesus is not always easy. For the Mexican missionary, the American pastor, and for you, the Christian at Cooper Tire, come on, for you, the nurse at Wadley Hospital, serving Jesus is not always easy. Sometimes we face hardship and sacrifice. Sometimes the Christian life is costly, and it is not fun, but it is a path that we, we follow in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 Paul is, is almost ashamedly talking about himself, but he said this, and here's a little bit of what he said as a servant of Christ. We don't use that word very often, but it's actually uh, more aptly translated uh, slave of Christ. In most of the, uh, the epistles, uh, James, for example, a servant, a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Slave is the Greek word doulos, which means this was the person that was in the bottom of the Roman ship that was rowing the oar while they were going out to battle. And these people identified as servants of Christ. He said, I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger. I've worked hard and long. I've endured many sleepless nights. And I've also often gone without food. You know, when we talk about his ministry today, it's kind of like a wow. But he says when his ministry started, there was one time he went to, uh, he was going to one of these small villages down this dark road at night. Has anyone ever heard of a maypop? A maypop is a tire that may pop because it doesn't have any tread. Well, unfortunately, he's got a truck and it's got four maypops on it. And he has two flats, and he said, now this is after, you know, you, you, listen, well, you listen to someone that's now 86 and talks about what God has done with his life, but when you're 40-something and you're trying to, I can't even imagine how you would roll two tires down the road at the same time. Now, in Mexico, it gets cold at night, and what happens, in case you didn't know this, during seasons of the year, the rattlesnakes migrate from the desert, and they come to the road because the road, the gravel, will have absorbed the heat. So he is pushing two tires down a road, hoping for a gas station. There are no McDonald's. Come on now. There's no Burger Kings. There are no Super Centers. He's just hoping to find somebody that has a patch for a tire so the car can keep going. 
sometimes it is hard living the Christian life. When he went to, uh, uh, to Antioch, now now, today there stands a church, today there stands a hospital that has given countless free medical care. American teams would fly in, teams of surgeons, teams of anesthesiologists. They would do these intense surgeries. Medicine for free wouldn't charge the people anything. And they would go down there, and that's what's there today. But when he got there, now remember, he didn't speak, uh, he didn't speak Spanish and didn't have any money. But somehow the Lord led him to Atayac, which is north of Acapulco. It is not a resort town. And there had just been a monsoon, or not monsoon, but a hurricane that had come through the area. He, he's not staying in the Hilton Hotel. He's staying in a room that overlooks the city dump. Now, I'm sure that was pleasant. But so, so he didn't know what to do. The Lord just told him to go. So he takes a little money, and he gets, I don't know, what we would, we'll call a Walmart bag. And he goes to a street vendor, and he gets, buys as many tacos as he can afford. And he just starts feeding the poor. He starts helping people. There's no United Nation aid there. There's no cargo planes coming in with food and clothing. There's this one white American that loves us Hispanic people. And before you know it, God gave him the favor of the town. That's where the first church was planted. That's where the first hospital was built. And that's where we dig many water wells now when our team goes from this base there in Atioch to surrounding villages. Christian, the Christian life is not always easy. Now, everything we've talked about is simply, I said, because somebody said yes. But it wasn't just him that said yes, it was he and his wife. Just like it was my father-in-law said yes, but my mother-in-law said yes as well. They said yes together. And while he would go to Mexico, it wouldn't be like just for a weekend jaunt. It might be for a month at a time. She would stay behind. And the difficulty, the hardship, the, the prayers, the sacrifice, it's as equally great for her reward in heaven as it is for the man that sits next to me today and I think she's at home now with a serious heart condition and she's at home now and I think we should give her a big hand and say thank you to what she did in these last 44 years now so the big question you may be scratching your head and say why would somebody do that well I'll tell you why First of all, it's because of the same reason every one of us should be doing something similar in our sphere of influence because Jesus told us to take the gospel of Christ to the entire world, to every person on the planet, every person in Texarkana, every person in Red Lick, every person in Redwater, every person in Maud. Come on now. Our responsibility as Christians is our number one job to take the gospel to as many people as we can before it's eternally too late. But there's another motivation. One day we're going to look at Jesus. And then you're going to find out what that number was that you don't know. And I would be willing to bet somehow in heaven when time is no more and at the bema seat of Christ when God is rewarding us for what we've done for him, I bet you there's going to be millions upon millions of people that were formerly named Hispanic that are going to look at you and say thank you. And uh, that's why we do what we do. 
That's why life group leaders lead life groups. That's my wife leads uh, uh, teams uh, around the world. That's why our safety team in our church serves. That's why people in our kids' zone serve today. I'm not trying to elevate the foreign field above the local field. We all just need to find our sweet spot and do what Jesus has called us to do and say yes to him. He's not going to compare me to you in heaven one day. He's going to say, John Miller, what did you do with what I gave you? And I want to hear him smile. Come on and say, well done, John. I'm glad you did it. I'm going to show you now that it's worth it. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. He's, he is worthy, worthy to be praised. I'm going to close with this, and I want to show you this picture again. And I'm going to tell you something you may not know. This is Psalm 39, verse 4. And why don't you say it with me, if, if they'll have it on the screen. But Psalm 39, verse 4 It says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered. Remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me my days are numbered. Now, this applies to you, friend. You may look at Brother Larry and say, well, you know, he's 86. I'm, you know, something a little less. I did a portion of a funeral this week for a guy that died in the middle of the night at 58. Kids are dying all the time. You don't know how much time you've got left. This man in the middle, Moises Carranza, he was the apostle of northern Mexico and all the Mexico ministries. They were joined at the hip as brothers together. He went to be with Jesus about 15 or 20 years ago. Uh, I don't know where, I don't have that gray jacket anymore. I think I gave it to the Goodwill. I don't know where I got the angel's hat, and I don't wear glasses anymore like that. And I'm a little older, and my son's not 12. He has a six-year-old son himself. The Lord remind me how brief my time on earth will be. So why am I saying that? Do something with your life for Christ before it's eternally too late. When this life is over, there's only two things that will matter. I went duck hunting yesterday. We actually did really good. It was a blind full of us and we got 32 and it was pretty glorious and I shot pretty fair. But that won't matter in heaven. In this whole, there's only two things that will matter one day. That first one is, was I a believer and follower of Jesus Christ? And I'm going to come back to that in a minute because some of us may not be. And the second thing is, what did I do with my life for Christ while I was on this earth? And it's for that one that I would like to offer a prayer with you right now. I'm going to have Brother Larry pray, but I want you to bow your heads. And, and to fulfill the Great Commission to reach the world, it takes three groups of people. It takes goers, that's what Brother Larry did and is it does. Goers, it takes givers, and it takes prayers. So I'm going to ask you if you're here today and say, Pastor John, if you're watching online, do, do some participation. Just bow your head a moment and say, if you're here, say, Pastor, I feel a call to a mission field. You may know where it is, you may not, but you feel a call to somewhere that's bigger than just where you are now. It could be vocational. It could be temporary. It could be just, you might have never taken a missions trip and you feel that you want 
would take a missions trip and touch the mission world. But if you have any calling like that, I want you to just lift your hand right now. See, this is kind of you making a commitment to God that I'm going to feel that call. Now I'm going to ask the second one. How many that are here today will say, Pastor, I want, I want prayer because I want to ask the Lord to bless me financially. When he does, I want to do more for the cause of Christ around the world than I've done thus far. I want to reach the poor. I want to reach those that have never heard the gospel. I want to give people Bibles that don't have them. If that's you, would you just lift your hand? And my last question is this. If you're here today and say, Pastor John, this has moved me today. I want to commit to on a regular, if not daily basis, to pray for missions around the world. To pray for people in the persecuted church. To pray for lost and deceived people. And that the gospel would find its way into the heart of every human being on this earth. Brother Larry, why don't you pray? Give the Lord a good hand today. I want to offer one last prayer, and I want you to tune me back in if you tune me off because it's the most important thing we've talked about today. You remember just a moment ago, I said, when your life is over, only two things will matter. The second one is, what did I do for Christ? But the first one is, did I believe in Jesus and did I follow him? Because, friend, now I'm talking about the difference between heaven and hell. I'm talking about what will happen to you on Judgment Day. I'm talking about how you're, not what you've done in your past, but about what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You say, Pastor, what do I need, what do I need to do to get right with God? The Bible's very simple. I believe in Jesus and I follow Him. It's not a passive belief that I just continue to live my own way, but it's a belief that causes me to turn my life. To believe in Jesus simply means this. I believe that Jesus came from heaven. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sins. He was a substitute. He took my place. I believe that Jesus literally died. He was buried in the ground three days. On the third day, he rose from the dead. And now he's king of kings and lord of lords. And he's coming back one day, come on now, for his church. That is what you believe. But listen, it's not just enough to have a passive belief in your head. The Bible combines the word repentance, which means to turn to God. And that is a decision when you feel God pulling you, drawing you to himself. 
that you're ready to turn and decide to follow Christ. And if you're here today and would like to get right with God, you would like to make a step to Christ today. It, for some, it may be the first time you've ever done it. For others, you could have gotten away from God. And today, you want to come back and start your Christian life afresh. We're going to pray for you. And I'm going to go section by section. And I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to pray and commit your life to Christ. You say, why are you doing that? Number one, because people are going to clap for you because you have just stepped into the kingdom of God. They're going to rejoice with you. But number two, it is your first step. Because if you cannot take a step for Christ in a church building where people are clapping, you will never follow Jesus Christ out into the world. This is why we're baptized in water. It is our public testimony to the world. So if you're here today and say, Pastor John, I need God's forgiveness of sins. I want to get my life right. I'm ready to become a follower of Jesus. I want you to pray for me. Anyone in this section here, just lift your hand and say, Pastor, I want to get right with God. Give that person a big hand today. Others that are here today say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. Anybody in this section say, pray for me. I want to get, give him a big hand today. God bless you, buddy, right here on the front row. You just changed your son's life. Anybody else say, pray for me. Give her a big hand in the back there. God bless you, dear. God bless you. Anyone here say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. I'm not where I need to be. I need prayers. Anyone here today say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. Say, Pastor, why are you doing this? Because I want you to go to heaven. I, I'm not asking you to join this church. I don't want your money. I don't want you to do anything. I just simply want to be someone that connects the Savior of the world to you. Have I missed anybody? Anybody here say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get right with God. Anybody here, give them a big hand. One, two, three, four people, five people in this section. God bless you. This is the best section of the day. Anybody here say, pray for me. I need to get my life right with God. Can they give both three girls or four girls right there? Give them a big hand. God bless you. I'm going to give all these folks a big hand today. I want you to stand to your feet now. Let's all stand to our feet. Give them one more big hand. And all you that raised your hand, I want to ask you to take the second step. Come down to the cross and let a pastor pray for you right now. Come on, all you that lifted your hand, bring your friend with you, bring your spouse with you. All you that lifted your hand, Sam, I'm getting my life right with God. Come on, girls, come on up to the cross. Meet with one of our pastors and pray with us right now. That's right. Come on, give them a big hand as they're coming. God bless you. Even if you didn't raise your hand today, it's okay. People are getting right with God. The, the father, the husband, getting right with God right now. God bless you, dear. I'm getting my life right with God. Hey, this was a great day today, wasn't it? Praise the Lord. Listen, if you want to give a, a love offering, we try to give a love offering to, at Christmas time to the, the Myers family. Uh, you can go on our app where it says uh, uh, guest speaker love offering designated there. Or you can just write a check with Brother Larry's name on it. We'll make sure that he gets it. Give him one more big hand. We love you. We're honored to be called friends. We're going to sing one closing song. I love you. Thank you for coming today.